0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life.
1: Create your vie.
2: Create your life.
1: Create your life. Create your life. vita.
0: your Create your life.
1: Don't skip your life
0: better create your,
1: life. <laughs> create, your life.
0: You. create your life create your life
1: create your life
0: create your life Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life Series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and today we have two very accomplished guests, actually in two different industries, and they've come together to write a book on business leadership entitled Slam Dunk Success. Mr. Charlie Norris and Mr. Byron Scott, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family.
2: Hi, this is Byron Scott, and want to say hello to the uh, Create Your Life uh, family, and thank you guys for having me on.
1: And I'm Charlie Norris, and again... Uh, I'd like to say hello to create the Create Your Life family. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm always thrilled to be with Byron. Well, thank you, Charlie. It's my pleasure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you guys, man, my first question out the gate, there's a 16-year difference between you. Mm. You guys are coming from two different industries. How did you connect and hook up? Like, how does this happen?
2: Well, I, I know we're both gonna interject on this uh, subject. This happened like nine years ago, uh, and Charlie and I met at Equinox Gym in West LA, and uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, introduced us. And um, you know, a- as we started to see each other on a day-to-day basis, and I was working out by myself, and Charlie was working out with uh, our friend Vial. And one day, we just started talking a little bit, and he said he wanted to uh, lose some weight and do some other things. And I said, Charlie, you should you know start working out with me. And it just kind of escalated from there. You know, that's and that's really the short version of it. Mm-hmm and um you know nine years later we, we've we gotten to this point where uh tremendous friends uh, i got a tremendous amount of respect for charlie and the things that he's done in his life uh as a businessman but also as just a person and um you know i i consider him my best friend um and we start spending a lot of time together off the court so to speak mm-hmm. you know not in the gym we, we we really wanted to get to know each other a little bit more and uh, develop this relationship, and you know the one thing that I always felt when I'm in a gym working out. You know, I, I go in there, and uh, Kevin, you probably can relate to this. You go in there, you put your headphones on, you work out. You want to get you, you know, you're so focused on doing what you have to do, Absolutely. and you don't really want to be bothered and things of that sort. Um, but also, you know, one of the reasons that I, I would do that is because everybody in the gym always wanted something from you. Mm. You know, being at your time or being in money or whatever the case That's may right. be. And as we got to know each other, we found out that it was the same with him. (laughs) Everybody wanted him to take a look at a business plan or invest in their business. And, you know, it it was just uh, ironic how we just kind of, you know, meshed together. And it's it's, like I said, the the relationship has been great ever since. And I know he's going to add some other things to it. But on my behalf, I've learned so much uh, from Charlie uh, in in this relationship, Um, not only just from, the things that i had to do as far as coaching and you know way back in the day when i played but just from a leadership role um you know learning how to deal with people learn how to ask that second and that third question is something that i learned from him and it's been a tremendous like i said relationship in the gym and in out of the gym area as well i'm in awe of, the, <laughs> of your answer to that question um
1: uh, I'm going to come at this from a slightly different angle, Kevin, that uh, uh, I'm a Bostonian and I was a, a great uh, Celtics fan
2: my whole life. I was trying to leave all that negative oh, part out wow. of it. Yeah, But go ahead, Charlie, if you no, want yeah, you you to bring no, in the negativity but, yeah. in the whole interview, you well, go right just, ahead. Well, you, you were such a
1: positive force. I <laughs> wanted to balance it a little bit. And I was a Laker hater my whole life because I came from Boston and I was a Celtics fan and the competitive... uh, One of the great rivalries of all time was the Celtics-Lakers rivalry. So I would be... um, working on one of the cardio machines, and the the club that we work out at has several levels, so you can look down at the, the main floor where people are lifting weights or doing what they're doing, and I was observing By- uh, Byron. I hadn't met him, uh, and I was really impressed with what I saw because, as he said, he was— um, serious about working out. There was no bling about him. He wasn't strutting around, but he was also generous with his time when somebody would come up to him, he would talk to them, but keep moving. You know, he certainly wasn't neglecting, but he he was focused. And and I thought that's really great. And I'd like to think that I'm a focused person as well. So when we, we first met, I said to him that what I what I've just said now, and that I actually was admiring him from a distance, and uh, it it just sort of clicked, uh, and um, we found very early on that we had a tremendous amount in common. Now you. Um, wrongly said that we're 16 years apart in age oh. we're actually 15 years apart in age and that's, that's important but the every <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one year is big now. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. it's big <laughs> but, but so many people over the years have come up to us mm-hmm. and said what do you two have in common uh, Byron is going to kill you working out uh, what do you talk about you're having so much fun together why right. is that and they don't ask the second question they don't know anything about who we really are mm. it's just perception right and surface. what mm. what i really what really clinched the deal for me in terms of s- saying that to myself that byron was somebody that i'd really like to get to know better he was exactly the same person with the people that are picking up the towels, who are giving giving us the smoothie. He knew their names. He knew what school they were going to to get higher education. Right. Uh, it, it, there was no difference. And I have found from a leadership perspective that you have to get everybody in an organization aligned. So at a point in time in our relationship, Byron became... The head coach of the Lakers, right. and he and I would work out together at the Laker facility. He knew the guard's name. He knew the person that was uh, uh, washing the clothes in the in the uh, uh, in the laundry room. He knew them all, and he would talk to them all about what his vision was for where the Lakers were going. And I said, "Bingo, that that's a leader," and that was just critical to me in terms of wanting to take our relationship as far as we could.
0: And I think, I mean, you touched on a few key points that I I love. You know, number one is, I guess, how do you get people on board to, especially those who may be difficult um, in persuasion, to be on board with the overall vision? Like, what are some of your strategies to do that? I know you touch on that in the book, but anything that you can offer would be amazing.
1: Well, uh, I'll I'll take a crack at that first. One of the things that that both of us share is uh, our leadership model. And in that leadership model, the the first part is to actually create the vision that you want for your, your team or your business. And that is typically aspirational. It's not a short-term, what our budget's going to be for this year or how many games we're going to win this year. It's long-term, where do we want to take our team, where do we want to take our organization? Once you have uh, determined that vision, and, and you do it not not by yourself, but with a group of, of colleagues, your managers, and oftentimes you even want to go lower in an organization when you're creating the vision. But once you've done it, the secret sauce is how you articulate it in a way that you not only get to the heads, but you get to the hearts of the people. So if you can get uh, people not only nodding that it makes sense intellectually, but it also makes sense emotionally for me, and how am I going to benefit from uh, our uh, striving to, to reach this goal and this vision, then, you, then you, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. And what's critical is there are no two people on the planet mm-hmm. who are exactly the same. And so what motivates one person may not be the same thing that will motivate someone else. And you have to know enough about that person to be able to know what will motivate that person to do. Uh, Get on board so that everyone is aligned in an organization.
0: I'm glad you said that, you know, about knowing your personnel and understanding them, because in the book you talk about that the best motivation is actually appreciation and knowing Mm -hmm. how to appreciate somebody in uh, in their own right, I guess you would call it. You know what I mean? It makes a huge difference. So, um, Mr. Scott, do you have any anything else to add to that?
2: No, I, I, again, Charlie hit it right on the head. I mean, we have that same model. And, and it's you know, he, he's dealing with thousands of people. You know, when you're talking about running a business, I'm dealing with 12 to 15 young men, and, and I'm dealing with a coaching staff. You know, so to get them to understand my vision, you know, you know, first, obviously, you got to go to your coaching staff and, and, and get their uh, I wouldn't say approval, but also get them thinking along the same lines. And then again, you got to go to those players. and And my 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 first thing with the players is always ask them what is their vision. Mm-hmm. You know, where do they see themselves in this team uh, in, in the next three to five years? And, and I want to make sure that we can get their vision and my vision in line together, mm-hmm. because then you know you got a powerful force of everybody moving in the same direction. Right. And that's what Charlie and I have been talking about for for years. When, when we talk about the model uh, of success, mm-hmm. is you know, for me, getting a lot of these young guys to really understand what I'm thinking about, how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. and how we got to get there. You know, because first, when we get that vision, now we got to formulate a plan mm-hmm. to make sure we can take step one, two, three to get to step ten. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the whole challenge that you have as a coach, because you're right—you got 15 guys, and none of them are the same. Right. And if you don't know how to hit those buttons. You know, to motivate those guys, uh, th- then you're going to have somebody or, or some of those guys that are lost. You know, so my trick has always been to try to figure out each and every person, and again, it goes back to getting to know the people that work for you or work with you. Mm-hmm. And, and I've learned a lot, like I said, from Charlie. And, and just a, a quick story: I have a player named Julius Randle, mm-hmm. who I was telling Charlie about one day when we was working out, and I was like, Charlie, I'm, you know, I, I know I'm getting to these other guys, but I, I'm just trying to figure out a way to get to Julius. Mm-hmm you know, to make him understand, you know, his potential and what he can do, right. uh, you know, with his career. And, and Charlie told me it was this simple. He said, you know, won't you, uh, won't you put it in question form to him? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, just ask him what's blocking him from being great. Wow. And I said, question. and it was, it was. I, hey, the first thing I did I is go. I, I No, go. well, the first thing I did <laughs> is I gave Charlie a big hug. You know, but the thing, the thing with me and Charlie's relationship, and, and the reason I didn't go to my coaches about this uh-huh. is because Charlie was a, a guy that I that I allowed to be in practice, right. to be in film sessions, to be in coaches' meetings. So he right. came with a different perspective.
0: I call those higher-level conversations. Absolutely. you're dealing with somebody who's not, like, you have your people who are on your same level or who are below you who are in the mix, you know, in the midst of what it is that you're doing, but you have that higher-level conversation with someone, it's a meeting of the
2: minds right. on another level. So, and, and he's been on that level for a number of years. So I knew if I asked him about it, he wouldn't give me a basketball answer.
0: Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody who was, that wasn't going to give me a basketball answer. And I knew and trusted and had confidence that he would give me some advice that would help me to be able to get to this young man right. so when he said b just put it to him in, in question form what is blocking you first mm-hmm. he said and don't let him answer it right away he said and then the second question you ask him once he answers that question is what can i do to help you you know get to that next level am i putting it pretty right absolutely. charlie absolutely so i mean obviously when i went to julius randall and i said okay son what you know i, I you know I got to ask you a question. I said, what's blocking you from being great? And I don't want you to answer it. I want you to think about this. I want you to come back tomorrow, you know, and, and give me an answer. Because I really wanted him to, to sit down and go in depth right. and, and really think about this. So not central. just yeah, not just give me just, just some answer. I wanted him to really take 24 hours and come back to me and, and give me an answer. Mm-hmm. And when he did, his answer was, you know, Coach, I really just need you to stay on me. I really just need you to push me. You know, because that was, yeah, because that was my question to him was, yeah. you know, when he gave me the answer was, you know, well, how can I help you? And that was what he told me. I, I really need you to stay on me and push me. So, you know, just just going to Charlie, being able to communicate that with a younger player who I was having trouble getting to right. uh, was one of the reasons that I knew, you know, this, this relationship had just developed into something special because I could go to him. And, and ask him questions like that Or asked for advice mm-hmm. Because as a coach and as a leader you, When you get to the point where you think you know it all It's, it's time to retire Absolutely, it, it really is, it's time to retire And I, I never felt that I've gotten to the point Or the level mm-hmm. in coaching That I know everything I always feel that I can continue to learn each and every day
0: yeah, well, you know, the greats are continuously growing and evolving, and they always say, you know, iron sharpens iron. Absolutely. But if you're not sharpening, you're rusting. I like that. Play. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. It, 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 okay. You know, yeah,
1: b- uh, uh, Byron, uh, uh, with his answer, um, sparked three thoughts in my mind that are they're not linear. So forgive me if they, I'm, I'm bouncing a little bit, but um, we would work out together. Uh, on various cardio machines and we could, uh, uh, <laughs> we worked out to the point where we were doing three hours of cardio, half an hour on six machines. So we had a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. And and most people in the gym would think that we were talking about basketball mm-hmm. or we, you know, that, cause that's what so, everybody wants right, to be right. getting close to Byron to talk about basketball. But I use the analogy of Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if you know that book, but it's a wonderful book about a um, sports writer in Detroit Mm -hmm. who uh, went to the home of a a wise man, and every Tuesday they would sit and talk. And this person was dying, and every Tuesday they would just sit and talk about life. And Byron and I hardly ever talk about sports we're talking about stuff like how do you get to people? Mm-hmm. What are you doing that um, is, it really makes you feel like you're accomplishing something and you're bettering the world and bettering life? I mean, we're talking about all kinds of things that have nothing to do with who won yesterday's basketball right, game right. Or, or whatever. And that's made the relationship so much more powerful. Right. Because the relationship isn't because I'm a business executive and Byron's a basketball legend. Right. It's because we're getting to each other's hearts and, and that's where the bonding really, really took place. Okay. The, the second thought that I had coming out of, of that comment w- uh, was that when you're dealing with people from, in different spaces – So I've had both union and non-union employees and in most instances uh, management never wants to have a union if they can avoid it. My feeling was I don't care. It makes no difference to me if I'm dealing with union or non-union people. because if I treat people fairly, mm-hmm. they will treat me fairly. Mm-hmm. Right. It's and the only reason unions ever were formed to begin with was because the work the frontline workers felt they weren't being treated, treated fairly, right, yeah. fairly by management. Right. And um, uh, in one company that we talk about in the book, mm-hmm. Deer Park, When I owned it with two other two other uh, people, Mm -hmm. we put in a phantom stock option plan, which is so everybody had an ownership in the company, and we did the same thing for the union employees as well as the non-union employees. And so, if people feel they're being treated fairly, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what they're belonging to, they're going to ultimately belong to the company that. them. that that, tr- that treats them right mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So I see a theme amongst you gentlemen uh, and have an influence on each organization that you went th- that you've been through or been a part of right you know you Mr. Norris uh, the CEO and president of McKesson Water also Deer Park and a board member of Fresh Pet Inc uh, you Mr. Scott. The Lakers as a player, coach, the Cavs, New Jersey Nets. Mm-hmm. You know, Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant's one of my favorite. Is not what well, <laughs> somebody absolutely of all time, but different conversation. <laughs> uh, but what would you guys say are some of the top three tools that you have used in order to uh, successfully transition from organizations that you've been a part of, and also to uh, lead and influence them?
2: Well, for me, I think it goes back to our. You know, for me, always been vision. You know, my vision and my determination. My work ethic, uh, I think, has always been second to none. I've I've always said, as far as my work ethic, I, I've never been uh, as a player. I, I never was the most talented player uh, in the league at my position, but I I, I made sure every summer that nobody was going to outwork me. Mm. You know, that that was that was my gift. Is that I had an unbelievable work ethic. Um, you know, I, I know the the one story I've told Charlie about that is that, you know, my my ex wife when I was married. I would run. I was, you know, I had my little five-mile run that I would do almost every night. Mm -hmm. And one night it was pouring rain, you know, and I went and ran. You know, I did my run and I came back and it was always a sprint that last 100, 200 yards. And I'm laying on my porch just gasping for air. And she comes out. She said, why would you do that? Why do you do that to yourself? I said, because there's a kid in Miami that plays my position where it's nice and sunny that's working out today. And he cannot get the upper hand on me. Oh, and and that is my attitude. You know, that was my attitude. So my work ethic uh, is one of the things that I think is my is my biggest you know you know positive uh, that I bring to the table. Uh, my communication skills is, is another one, and my determination. You know, those are th- those are three things that I think I am uh, extremely good at, and and that I feel that the other things that I don't have. Uh, or that you, you might be better than me at, you know, as far as talent wise, I make up with those three, you know, because I'm a, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to leave it on the court. Right.
0: So especially speaking in your uh, position, when you talk about work ethic and now we're bringing it back to the book, Slam Dunk Success, mm-hmm. in terms of leadership. How do you display your work ethic when you're not actually playing and now you're in the coaching position and things like that? Right. You know how do you display that work ethic?
2: Pretty much the same way. Charlie and I would meet every morning, 6, okay. you know, six thirty, seven o'clock. When I was coaching for the Lakers, we would practice. We, we would we work out. Open, we were opening. the facility. We, we were would the work first out and open there. Yeah. Wow! So my 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 whole thing with that was I wanted players to come in and see me in the gym. Okay. I wanted them to see me in the weight room. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted them to use me as, as an example of. You know, dang, coach is here every morning at 7 o'clock, you know, Mm -hmm. getting his workout in before he has to meet with his coaches Mm -hmm. and go over a game plan or practice plan. And then he's out here on the floor, you know, participating in practice with us. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted them to see that every single day because I thought that was a great reminder to them that, okay, I'm not playing anymore, but I still want to stay in shape because I want to be out here with you guys as much as possible from a physical standpoint. probably at most three
1: pounds heavier now than he was when he was playing. Wow. And you see most uh, professional athletes when they're not uh, burning as many calories as they do during the season. Correct. Uh, kind of let this up go a little bit, Charlie. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> How about for you, uh, Mr. Norris,
0: what are, what are some of the what are three tools that you use um, to help you transition and influence organizations? You've been yeah,
1: well, well, first of all, uh, when I have transitioned, I try to stay uh, within uh, a broad industry that I know something about Uh, and in my case it's consumer packaged goods. So most of the companies I've been involved with and they market it to the end consumer Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important to stay uh, close enough to home that you at least come in having some knowledge of that category and that, that type of business and i also come in with the feeling that i need to learn i don't need to be giving advice from day 1 i need to understand the culture of the organization i need to understand what's driving the people what was good and what wasn't good about the people who preceded me so i'm i spend a lot of time just talking to people and what What I've done is, in essence, um, taken an organizational chart, which tends to be a triangle with the leader at the top of that triangle, turn it upside down and make the frontline people at the top of it and me at the very bottom. So when I came to McKesson Water, for example, they had one Reserve parking space in, in their parking lot, and that was with a plaque for reserve for the CEO. My first act was to eliminate the one reserve parking space, and I said, if I come late, I'll walk the extra two hundred yards or whatever that to was get my to. My
0: first question: Did you increase the number of reserved parking spots? You answered it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, uh, uh, so I wanted to make sure that. Um, uh, that nobody thought that I felt I was superior. Absolutely. I have everyone has a job and you wanna make sure that everyone does their job well and every job is important mm-hmm. in an organization. Mm-hmm. So I wanna make sure that right up front that people feel that way about uh, about my leadership style. The second thing I wanna do is make sure that the frontline people feel comfortable talking to me so how do I do that instead of taking the elevator up to the fourth floor I always walk the stairs and by walking the stairs, you meet people on in the stairway.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a pretty we, active company, I, I would say. You got, you know, yeah, he, was in, he was in
2: better shape then. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> he might take the elevator now and tell whoever's on the stairs to jump in there with him.
1: <laughs> actually, actually, I, I don't want to give Byron credit because it'll go to his head. But when we started working out together, uh-huh. he pushed me so hard uh-huh. that not only did my uh, percent body fat go down, but my doctor with the annual physical said, every every aspect of my blood work is better since you've been working out with Byron Scott I, I, I've wow. got to hey, give him some credit you. for we that so, <laughs> if, if, one, if he could work out with everybody the world would be a better place <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway by, by being out there and going to all the branches going to the plants talking to the people before I was um, really kind of uh, figuring out exactly what needed to change in each mm-hmm. organization mm-hmm. that was hugely hugely helpful and the people were now willing to hear what I had to say right. because they had a chance to tell me what they were th- what they thought was good what wasn't and good, good etc et yeah Ex- exactly it just made them more involved yeah. Ex- very much so
0: Wow uh, with success and you are two success- very successful men it's also the reward for past failures uh, and of course, never giving up, as you guys both spoke, spoke, mm-hmm. to, spoke to determination. Uh, what strategies have you used to avoid the agony of carrying loss into the next challenge?
1: Well, uh, and again, here I think we're we're very alike mm-hmm. in that as well, and in fact. One of the reasons we thought that writing this book would make sense mm-hmm. is because of how many similarities we had in uh, the respective field of business and, and mm-hmm. sport in terms of the way we lead. Right. Uh, in 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 my case, I like to call it a celebrating failure. Okay. And what's really important is to let an organization know that risk is critical. You're not going to make a project real progress if you don't take risk. And when you take risk, you're not always going to be successful. So if you're not successful, what have you learned Mm -hmm. from your failures? And by learning from failure, it makes you smarter and enables future success. Mm -hmm. If you don't learn from failure and you don't try, you won't get out of the box that you're in.
0: Okay. In in chapter four, you say that uh, you learn as much from a poorly run team as from a successful one. Uh, what are some examples of that from your experiences?
2: Well, for me, you you learn um, you learn a lot when you when you when you have a team that's I wouldn't say poorly run, but when you have a team that's not very successful compared to the teams that I've had that are, are very successful. Uh, there's one real common denominator, and that's that you you see that players are a lot more serious. Uh, they take it. Um, A lot better as far as the coaching is concerned Uh, the the teams that I've had that wasn't very successful uh, there's a number of reasons why Mm -hmm. you know number one is probably because like I'll take the the team in Cleveland wasn't very successful but we had so many young guys they were they were new to the league they were just trying to learn Mm -hmm. and gain that experience Uh, but then you had other teams where I've had guys who just you know they they wanted to hang out more than anything it wasn't about the game Mm -hmm. and for me you know, when I played, the highlight of my, my day or night was the game. Right. It wasn't what was going on after the game, right. if you know what I mean. You know, there's a lot of young guys now. They they come to the arena now, and they're in the locker room, and they're talking about what they're going to be doing after the game. But you got a game, yeah. you know, that night. You know, that's the most important thing of the day for you. So you could tell just by attitude a lot of times what makes uh, one team successful and what makes one team not so successful, um, you know, especially especially in the NBA as a player and as a coach, I found that to be very easy to dissect. And then it's just a form of now you got to change the culture, right. you know, so, you know, you got to weed them in and weed them out. You got to mm-hmm. get rid of the, the, the so-called bad apples and bring in guys who are winners or who have that winning mentality. Right. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure it's probably the same in business to a certain extent as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Mr.
1: Norris. Um, I, I have found that, uh, and, and I think what you were alluding to in, in that chapter, I found that I really learn a tremendous amount from poor leaders. Mm. And I've had wonderful leaders who've become great mentors, and I've had uh, leaders that w- did not do a good job uh, of leading, and leading the organization or leading the department that I might have been working in at the time. And I always uh, look at it and say, this person did ABC in this way. How would I have done it? Mm. And uh, where did I like what they did? Mm. Where didn't I like what they did? And I, I just store it. So even growing up, I was always uh, hearing my dad talk about what he did that turned out really well. Uh, and what did he do that didn't turn out really well? And why didn't it turn out well? And uh, one of the things with my dad, uh, all the people that worked under him loved him. He cared. He. I learned so much from him about how to treat people uh, that were working for me. He did not do a great job of managing up, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he was having troubles with people above him. Often, uh, and I learned that to be successful, you have to be able to manage people you're reporting to, the board that you're that may be running the business. Uh, you have to manage sideways, so you get help from the different departments that support your department, and you have to manage well down. So if you don't do it all, uh, ultimately you're going to have issues along the way. And you want to get the whole organization aligned.
0: Being that you guys lead by example versus just managing people and not necessarily showing them how to get to different results. Mr. Norris, you recently just said talked about how your dad didn't know how to manage up. How did you learn that particular skill, and how has that helped you to become successful in running multi-million-dollar and billion-dollar companies?
1: Um. Actually, the, I, I think there are two questions embedded in your your. Um, question, and I'll I'll come to the specifics of the second of your comment second, if I could. Uh, a big uh, aha moment for me was when I realized that I couldn't do everything myself, and when I first had people reporting to me, I was I was a terrible manager, never mind a terrible leader because I would give assignments, and if it didn't come back to my satisfaction, my first reaction was to say, my impulse was, uh, leave it, I'll take care of it from here. And my impulse should have been, and it finally became, um, here are some thoughts where I think it can get better. Go back and think about that and come back to me with um, a revised... A revised plan or a revised presentation, whatever. And I realized two things. One, that I wasn't going, I'm only going to be as good as how good I make the people around me. And the second thing was that I can't do everything myself. And if I'm ever going to be leading a larger organization, I have to have the best caliber people around me that I can find. I can't be at all worried about giving more and more responsibility and, and how that would ultimately uh, come back to me in terms of how others saw me. And uh, we, if we win as an organization, we all win. Right. And that's the most critical thing. We all win. Uh, it's not one person isn't going to win and the organization uh, uh, lose if we're all working in the same way. Now, specifically to the comment about uh, my dad and what he did, I had uh, a couple of senior people to whom I reported. One in particular was a man named Bob Bolingbroke, who was at the time president of Clorox. Mm -hmm. And he was a wonderful mentor because uh, he he never, um, let me say it a different way, Uh, he wasn't judgmental in how uh, he would react to things I would tell him. And I found that uh, he reacted best if he wasn't surprised. And I have found that as long as people know exactly what's going to happen and you're totally honest about where you are and the risks you have and how you're approaching it, and you're open to, well, here's what I'm thinking about how I'm approaching it, but here's where we need to get to, and here are the risks that we have to overcome along the way. If uh, things go badly, as long as they're aware of it, uh, they're fine. It, people typically are, are fine only, uh, uh, excuse me, are not fine only if, uh, they're totally surprised. You know, you're, you're going along, you're hiding things. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, Oh my God, I, I have, I've got to tell them because it's the end of the quarter Mm -hmm. and we have to report our earnings and we're down 12% for the quarter. Mm -hmm. Uh, what am I going to do? Then, uh, rightly so people aren't going to be happy about it. Mm -hmm. Um, now, uh, in the case of my dad, He was an extremely bright guy and he was a very forward thinker Mm -hmm. and uh, oftentimes he would assume people would understand Mm -hmm. where he was trying to go Mm -hmm. and uh, assuming is never the right thing. You've got to make sure that if the people have concerns and questions that you address them and if either you can address them so they're comfortable Mm -hmm. or maybe you're not going in the right direction. Mm And and I don't think my dad did uh, as good a job as he could have over the years of getting people to express their concerns and uh, uh, for him to uh, successfully overcome those concerns. Uh, Oftentimes he would just uh, assume it and uh, go off in a direction that ultimately he didn't have the support that he needed from, from the senior management.
0: So what, what it sounds like is that you're like a 2.0 of your dad, right? You're a better, a better version, right? Everybody wants to be a better version of their parents.
1: Well, I wish that was true. I think my dad was a great version of who he was. and, and uh, But in that specific case, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I did a better job than he did in that regard.
0: Yeah. And so we're talking now is we're moving to success mm-hmm. uh, outside of your element, which is Chapter 9. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love that you guys said was is that the rules may change in a new environment, but your confidence and work ethic must remain the same. How has that worked for you, Mr. Scott, especially being that uh, you took the Jersey Nets to um, the championship mm-hmm. and you guys uh, lost and then you came back the next year and repeated? Like, How did you uh, make sure that the morale of the team and that everyone stayed focused and locked in on the same goal to make it back there
2: again the next year? Well, I think anytime you have success, the natural thing that normally happens is guys have a letdown the next year because they don't come back because, as we say, they're fat cats. You know, they all of a sudden start feeling good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I think anytime you get to that point where you, you've had some success and you're happy about it and you don't strive to even do better the next year, uh, then you're going to have a letdown, you know. So, That team I had in Jersey, you know, the main focus we talked about going into the next year was everybody improving by 1%. You know, so whatever you did on the basketball court, let's improve it by 1%. And if each player can improve by 1%, that's 12% as a total team. That's a big jump. That's
0: a huge jump. So
2: if you can... Average. if you average 13 points, let's say average 14. If you average five rebounds, let's, let's make it six. If you average steal per game, let's make it another steal. So if each player had that type of mentality, we knew we would be able to be successful again. And most of our guys achieved that the next year. And I think just the fact that I put that type of pressure on them, uh, obviously it was thought about. Uh, I, I got that from one of the great coaches I've played for and a guy named Pat Riley who was very calculated in his way of uh, of getting you to compete every single night and getting you to think about uh, what he wanted you to do as an individual and as what he wanted you to do as a team for the next year, you know. So it was something that I had to really think about going into that that summer yeah. to to really put the challenge to the guys to see if I can get them to all buy into trying to improve by one percent. And I told them, I guarantee you, to get us back to the finals. Right. You know, we'll have a chance to win a championship. Uh, and we were able to accomplish that goal. So. I think any time you can um, uh, challenge players mm-hmm. or challenge people in an organization mm-hmm. uh, and not allow them to live on their past laurels, it, it, like I always tell guys, if, if you're living on the past, then you're never going to continue to strive for the future. Right, your career y- and it's going to stay at a stagnant. You, you'll never get better. You know, so even the years when I played basketball and I had great seasons, I wanted to be even better the next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I always wanted to improve the next year. And if I fell short, then, okay, the next year I'm going to improve, you know, on that year. So I continue to challenge myself each and every year. And as a coach, I tried to do the same thing with my teammates mm-hmm. or my team, uh, mm-hmm. the players that I was coaching, is to challenge these guys every year. Because if you are competitive... Right. Like I've seen with this man in the weight room. If, if you if you get him in a weight room yeah. and you challenge him mm-hmm. to do whatever we're doing, 65, 75-pound dumbbell uh, presses, wow. and say, so, all right, Charlie, okay. you, you got 10 in you.
0: yeah,
2: he, He's going to almost die trying to get those 10. Right, right. That's how competitive he is. Yeah. you know. And I think a lot of it also is when I played the game, I never wanted to let my teammates down. Mm-hmm. So I got to come in better right. the next year. I got to have that focus and that determination to come in better. So I always, you know, try to make a personal challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a player, I was very easily motivated. Mm-hmm. But as a coach, you have to learn to hit those buttons on all those guys that you have because all of them are different. So those 12 to 15 guys that you have, you got to find out what makes them tick and what you can do uh, to motivate them to come back the next year even better and stronger.
0: Okay. Now I want you guys to reach back a couple years, maybe a few years. Um, I want to know What are some of the mindsets Or habits that you had to break In order to reach this level of success that you're at So I'm talking pre-success mm. uh, The things that helped you Break through
2: Just Wow Maybe
0: like two apiece That would be very ideal Our listeners would love that
2: I, I could tell you one right off the bat uh, for me growing up in Inglewood, California in the time uh, when I was growing up there, gang infested, drug infested, you know, the one stereotype that I had to really fight and, and I used to motivate me was that you would never get out of here. Mm. You would never be successful, you know, you know, and, and I used basketball as a tool um, to get me out of that situation and to prove people wrong. Um that, that's one that just comes to mind right away. You know, for me, it was, you know, being, being, uh, you know, growing up in, in, in the hood, so to speak, and, and being stereotyped as somebody that won't get out no matter what you do uh, was the thing that motivated me the most.
0: Was there a specific habit, like something that you used to do that maybe you had to improve in order to take it, like, for example... There had to be a breakthrough, especially for you um, in your athletic career, where it's like, okay, I wasn't doing this well enough. And then, you know, a coach maybe gave you advice or someone pushed you that much harder that pushed you to the next level. And you said, okay, you know what, now I can realize that there's a change in my mindset or a change in the way that I'm doing things, running things, my management style, et Because I know you, you read Jim Collins' book, uh, Great yes. to Great, talking about level five leaders. You know, that might have been a breakthrough or probably shown you something to highlight. that You, you
1: really did your hard, homework, kind of. homework <laughs> didn't <it>? you? <Hey. laughs>
0: there's no other reason to be here I I, I could give you a good rundown if you like that I I like like that
1: (laughs) well done Kevin yes Um, well one of them I I think I've already uh, discussed which is uh, learning that I couldn't do everything myself and I had to be a leader of other people rather than assuming that if they didn't do it I could do it myself But the, the other big breakthrough came when I took a real risk, which was moving from a staff position uh, to a line position, and that happened when I went from Nestle, where I was uh, involved in new product and new new business development, and then head of strategic planning, and those are all staff roles, really, mm-hmm. to when I went over to Deer Park to run it. And I had never run a business before, and... Uh, The risk was that if I wasn't successful, my Nestle career was going to be over Mm -hmm. uh, because I had left corporate and was now in in a small operating subsidiary, Mm -hmm. and it was the greatest thing I I ever did in terms of career career move because I really learned how all the aspects of running a business came together because it was a a self-contained small business. And that was a rare opportunity. And that then catapulted my career with
0: uh, McKesson and, and from there on. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I want to say thank you for uh, being on the Create Your Life series. And I would really like to know what the book is coming out.
2: What's the April name?
0: 25th. April 25th. Okay. And uh, what's, what's up next?
2: Oh uh, Well, what's up next for, for Charlie and I? Yeah, uh, well, the biggest thing... The biggest thing is uh, the book is coming out on the 25th, but we have a launch party here in New York on the 26th okay. that will be at uh, Equinox. And I, I can't remember because Charlie's more familiar in New 67th York. 67th and Columbus. Is okay. the Equinox. And Michael Strahan, uh, a very good friend of mine, will be our host uh, of the show. And it's at 7 o'clock that night, uh, okay. that evening. And we're looking for uh, everybody to come down and, and, and join us mm-hmm. in, in celebrating this uh, this big opening for us and the launching of our first book together, and um, we, we think it's going to be an unbelievable night, and, and we're really looking forward to it. So,
0: yeah, salute to a real friendship you know, yeah. that led to a partnership. It,
2: it really is. Um, for, uh, what's next for us?
1: Uh, one of the things that Byron has really focused on uh, in giving back to the community, mm-hmm. and that's really critical to him, and it's critical to me. He has Uh, A basketball camp where he has half of the kids are from the inner city on scholarship, and half are from the suburbs and not on scholarship, and he's doing a lot of mentoring. And we think that if the book is successful, Uh, That we can do a lot of motivational speaking as a result. When it comes out. Absolutely.
2: Now when it's it's when.
1: Yes. When the book is. Thank you. We'll do that (laughs) one over. (laughs) When when the book is successful, uh, that this will catapult us into doing. Uh, more motivational speaking, yeah. and we can actually add a component of life skills to the basketball mm-hmm. camp and really do a whole lot to further mentor uh, young people. To and, and, and actually, one of the takeaways that we think is really important from our book is that you don't have to uh, dream about being a professional athlete. To have a great career, Mm -hmm. and that there's as much adrenaline flow, teamwork, and really success orientation Mm -hmm. from business as there is from sport. And uh, we want to just promulgate that as far as we can
2: uh, in the minds and lives of young people. Well, Well, the way Charlie just put that, you know, I I always kind of tell all the the people that we kind of come in contact with is that you got a better chance of being him. Than you do being Me. Right. You know, because they don't they don't realize that it's not a whole lot of NBA basketball players, right. but there's a lot of great business people and that agents. have been very successful. in mm-hmm. agents is business. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, you know, as much as we're trying to mentor kids and basketball is the hook, right. you know, to get them in the camp and then really try to teach them life lessons. And really try to help them as as well as the parents realize that if he doesn't make that dream or she doesn't make that dream of being a WNBA or NBA player, there are other things that you can still be great in and still get that same type of adrenaline Mm -hmm. and that same type of passion, you know, by closing a deal. You Absolutely. know, or, or being in a boardroom and negotiating this big time deal, you sit. You or get the same your type of jungle. share
1: go up, go up right, yeah, from one period to the next.
2: I've learned that by going into business with this young man, <laughs> and I use young very loosely, but I, <laughs> going into business with this man, and that, that's that's been the great thing about he's a, the relationship. He's a bad no, no, but Kevin, it's, it's been the great thing about this relationship is that you know we've been able to. Uh, Enter each other's world. Yeah. Like I said, you know, he would come to That's practice, important. business me- I mean our, our coaches meeting. Mm-hmm. And when he talked about not being able to, you know, he learned very early that he couldn't do it all himself. Yeah. That's the first one of the first thing I learned as a coach is that mm-hmm. you gotta delegate um, you know, power and authorities to, to your so, coaches. You gotta make sure that, that and you have to empower them. and you give them certain things that they have to do on a day-to-day basis and they feel every single day that they can come to you and and give their advice and things like that but obviously the final word is always mine. Yeah. But he he was privy enough to be able to sit in those meetings and see how we interact, mm-hmm. sit in our film sessions. It was, it was fabulous. It was sit really Sit in fun. On, sit in on practice and everything yeah. and then in turn I was able to go to, you know, business meetings with him in St. Louis and and with Fresh Pet and all this stuff and I was Bank just meetings. sitting there just fascinated, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, that just made us so much more, it's, you know, it's closer together. Like
0: friendship, man, and it, and it, and no it, doubt about it. I respect that, and I can see it, and I sense it here. So that's. Is- that's awesome. Well, thank you. Um, how can our listeners keep up with you guys? Stay in contact if they want to reach out. Any social media, email, anything that you. I got know.
2: everything pretty much social media, and I think Charlie's just, Charlie's of age where he's just now, you know, starting to. Get, and he's I'm got I'm, a pretty good LinkedIn profile. Yeah, he does. Yeah. You know what? And his LinkedIn is much better than mine. You know, I got my I got my Facebook and I got my Instagram, and I got my official Facebook, which is CoachByronScott.com, and then you know ESPN. ESPN. I, got, I mean, I got all yeah, those yeah. things. You just pull up Byron Scott. You'll find me on Facebook and, Twi- and Twitter and Instagram, uh, and we're gonna be, you know, obviously, you know, talking about the book in in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh because it'll be out in April twenty fifth. So we're gonna start, you know, hitting our social media to kinda let and everybody know when it's coming out. And the party the is lunch, gonna be lunch, Y'all lunch, come lunch, join lunch, us, I'm telling you, the party's gonna be on in New York on the twenty sixth. Come join and us. And in Los Seven, Angeles on, on the, the 29th, 29th of April. Of April. Oh, which man. Magic Johnson is hosting that one. You talking? <laughs> so Kev, it? come on down da- well, you're
1: you gonna come to California back to California. You, you better come on down.
2: Man, see the
1: mile, <laughs> I,
0: man. I read your article, actually, that um, when they interviewed you about him when he was uh, retiring and stuff like that, like there was a big write-up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Players
2: talking about him and stuff. I could talk about Kobe all day. Oh, it. yeah, man. All, uh, One of the greatest work ethics that I've seen. Yeah. And that's I, why it was great.
1: I'd right. like to make a comment on, on our book also. And, and, you know, the content is the content, and, and we think we really have a message to sell. But the book is also really well written. It's all in first person. It's not preachy. We're actually giving real life experiences, both positive and negative, and uh, what we've learned from it. So I think it, it can really resonate with a lot of different readers who have I, different I, interests.
2: I agree with that as well. And I, and I think you know when you do read this book, you know after each chapter, you should just sit down and kind of apply it to yourself. You know, really just sit down and just apply it to yourself and think about, you know, what we just said. And we have our little tidbits at the end of each chapter, you know, to kind of
1: the X's and O's, the X's and O's, O's of the, the chapter. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, what you can take away from that chapter. But, you know, uh, athletes, business people and people, I think, in general who, who just, you know, just going through life. You know, we, it, we think it really is going to be able to resonate with a lot of people.
0: Okay, Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for being here and uh, sharing your knowledge with us.
2: Our pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. No problem. Beautiful
0: people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 530 to 630 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram, at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week.
1: You
2: create your life. Create propre vie.
1: Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your
0: life. And skip your life. You better create your life
2: life
0: Great, love you.
2: create your life create your life